grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today is a text about the Good Samaritan from Luke chapter 10, where Jesus says, uh, the, the lawyer said, and of course, later in the script, earlier in the scripture, it said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And dear friends of Christ, the man in our text, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question, and he said, you know, am I, am I good enough? And Jesus honestly gave him an answer. He said, no, you're not. And Jesus is that blunt to each of us if we were to ask him the same thing. Jesus, am I good enough? No, you're not. See, we're lost and condemned sinners, and Jesus knows that. He knows what we deserve, and he loves us anyway. Our, 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 our text this morning, the parable of the Good Samaritan, illustrates our sin, our, our loveless hearts, how reluctant we are to love the people around us, and uh, with, especially with an unconditional agape type of love. The Webster Dictionary describes neighbor. This way it says, one who lives in close proximity, a neighbor. One who lives on friendly terms with another, a neighbor. Now, this, that's a fine definition, but upon closer examination, it, it, it lacks in some areas because uh, your neighbor next door isn't always friendly. So a neighbor isn't always a friendly person. Matter of fact, sometimes your neighbor, you don't even like them, and you know, a, a person can, a neighbor can be a person you, you love, can't live without, or a person that you can't get along with at all. And a neighbor could live next door, a neighbor could live down the street, a neighbor could live down across town. So who's your neighbor? Well, Jesus asked that question, and of course the Bible is continually redefining terms for us. We always, as Christians, have a different perspective on things. We have a different perspective on sexuality. We have a different perspective on just about everything, because God places his morality into it. Well, what about neighbor? So God puts a, Jesus gives us a new definition today. Who is your neighbor? And uh, sometimes, you know, our neighbor is somebody that is extremely loving and helpful. Um, and so we've heard the expression, uh, neighborly love. Well, maybe it's there we, sh we should begin neighborly love and and our sermon theme then is is uh, loving loving our neighbor to get a better grip on who our neighbor is like i said we have to look at god's word and find out how god describes this thing who is a neighbor our text says love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength and with all your mind so it all begins with love but we're supposed to love god above all things god number one god first of all. And of course, then love, don't forget, after you've loved God above all things, love the people around you. So it's not hard. God gives us two rules, and they summarize all the commandments. Love God, love the people around you, everybody. And of course, then we say, who is our neighbor? And of course, uh, Love is the essence. It's the essence of who we are as Christians. It's the essence of, of making a neighbor. Love is, is how we are to act. But we still haven't answered, answered the question, who is our neighbor? Well, who is the neighbor that we're supposed to love? Um, it tells us how 
do it by love, but who is it? And uh, many of you are already thinking, oh, my neighbor, my neighbor is everybody, because you're good Lutherans, you're good Christians. Everybody's my neighbor, which is a good pat answer. That's, that's the answer you've been taught. Everybody's your neighbor, you're supposed to love everybody, and, and that's true. But there's more to it. The answer is, who is my neighbor? My neighbor is the person I love. That's my neighbor. Everyone that I love. How, how did that person become my neighbor? It's because I loved him. I meet a stranger and the stranger becomes my neighbor. How did that stranger become my neighbor? Because I loved him. I did something for that person that I did not want to do. I went out of the way. Like the Good Samaritan in our text. I went out of the way. To take care of him. To love him. Make him my neighbor. So now then, according to that definition, your neighbor is, are those who you love. How many neighbors do you have? My guess is you've got neighbors of people who love you back. Got a bunch of those kind of neighbors. But you don't make neighbors of the people like the hurting Jew in the middle of the road. We tend to ignore people in life like that. Somehow we think that they deserve what they're getting. And, but that's the way Scripture puts it. Jesus himself said, love your enemies. I want you to do good to those who hate you. And Jesus also said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. And as I laid my, down my life for you, love each other. Find a neighbor. Find someone to love. Reach out to them. Make a sacrifice. That's the way Scripture puts it. Making neighbors by loving. But that's not the way we love. You know, there was a, a survey done several years ago that has stuck in my mind, and it, they surveyed 8,600 Christians from different uh, Protestant denominations. Um, I think there were 39 of them, all of which were asked the question, uh, on, a, on a scale of 1 to 10, how does your congregation welcome visitors? How does your congregation love each other in the community? What kind of loving congregation do you have? How do you make neighbors? And of course, uh, um, the number one, the top church, the number one top church in the survey, not surprisingly, had grown 50%, over 50% in a three-year period. That's a lot of people. Because people want to be loved. People are looking for a neighbor. People are looking for somebody that cares, that matters. I met a guy at Mission Central the other day, and he's a pastor of a church in Nebraska. Everybody wants this guy. Oh, he's a handsome, good-looking man. He's, you know, 6'3". He's, he's, he just got, he's, has everything. But he got into that community, went to a, a church in the middle of nowhere in Nebraska, out in the country. A church there certainly won't grow. There's no way a church out in the country like that, a good Lutheran church, is going to die. And he gets there, and every, everything's dying. But he starts to go into the community. And he's good at doing that. I'm not so good at that. 
And he has coffee with the people and he talks to them. And he goes and he does stuff with them. And before long, they're starting to come to church. Why? Because they're feeling loved. And he took a church that was dying and it's now this big, gigantic church in the middle of the country. Who does that? The pastor that builds his church on love, but not all Lutheran congregations are the same. Matter of fact, uh, in this survey, do you know where the Missouri Synod finished? The LCM, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, our, our synodical congregations. Yep, you're not surprised, are you? We finished last. The survey isn't the be-all and end-all of, of uh, this complicated question regarding church growth. Because it didn't take into account how faithfully these churches that loved were faithful to the Scripture. Today, it's hard to grow when you're faithful to God's Word. If you're faithful to God's Word, somebody's going to take offense. And they're going to go find another church where they're not so faithful. So a lot of these churches were doctrinally poor congregations. They weren't steeped in being faithful to, to God's, uh, God's teachings. And biblical illiteracy was, was uh, pretty apparent in the members of their congregations. They didn't teach repentance, forgiveness, absolution, forgiveness, um, law, gospel. You know, those type of things were pretty weak. Condemnation, salvation. They lacked in those areas. But that aside, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod ranked last in that love survey. Apparently, we're not very good at loving people, and we're certainly not good at making neighbors. But the survey, I think, to some degree, showed a deeper problem. It not only showed that we aren't good at loving and making neighbors, it showed that the only people we want to love are the people that love us back. You treat me well, I'll treat you well. You love me, I'll love you. You speak well of me, I'll speak well of you. Oh, we have a problem with love, and, and sometimes we have a problem loving the members in our own congregation, much less the members within our community, which God says, yes, it, we're just taking it for granted that you're supposed to love each other in the community of the church. What you need to do, besides loving people in the community of the church, is then reach out in the community. The churches who open their doors and reach out into the community, even today, those are the churches that are growing. Why? Because people want somebody to be a neighbor to them. They just want somebody that gives them significance and meaning. Even today, people just want to be loved. And so we begin by simply reaching out, but we fail to do that. We have a failure to love, a failure to reach out, a failure to have compassion. And we have some sins that we need to be willing to confess and some things that we need to change. Indeed, we don't love the way our Savior has taught us. And the supreme example of reaching out to the lonely, to the brokenhearted, to the oppressed, to the unlovable, to the sick, to the outcast was Jesus. Our Savior knows how to love. 
His divine essence is, is what love's all about. He, he exudes love because that's his character. It's what he is. Constantly. As Jesus walked on this earth, and even today, Jesus made everybody his neighbor. Everybody was his neighbor. And that's why God blesses evil and wicked men who turn against him. Because he's merciful. Jesus wants us to do that too. Our lesson today talks about this love and compassion as we see uh, this man, this lawyer. Um, it's a well-known story of, the, of a good Samaritan. And of course, uh, here you got this story. The man is traveling that road from uh, Jericho to Jerusalem. If you've been over to Israel, you don't want to travel that road. I mean, it's like it is walking through a desert. And uh, there's, there's hills of sand and, and all kinds of places where the criminals can stand behind. Even today in the Badlands, uh, they come out if you're, if you're uh, walking along that path and they, they, even today it's a dangerous place to be because there's, there's nobody out there. And sure enough, this guy had been traveling and here, here come the band of thieves. They beat him, they robbed him, and they left him half dead. A priest, the leader of the church, here he comes, this priest, he walks by. And this is a priest, and he, this priest knew the Word of God. He knew that we were supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. He knew that, that we're supposed to love our neighbors. And yet, and yet, he decides that this guy isn't his neighbor. So he's not going to love this guy. He hears his crying, he hears his pleas, he sees the wounds, he sees the blood, but he passes by. I'm not going to make this man my neighbor. And then the Levite comes, and of course the Levite is the pastor's a priest assistant. And so he, he shows up on the scene, and surely this other church worker will do what's right. And he comes upon the scene, and he hears this pitiful and gruesome man uh, doing what he's doing there, pleading for help, moaning. But like the priest, this Levite had a poor definition of neighbor. Decided, I'm not going to love this guy. And he passed by on the other side. The greatest of all commandments that we are to love, the greatest of all the commandments, love God, love our neighbor, he lacked it. He lacked that love. And so lacking that love, he passed by on the other side. And then as time passed, here comes a Samaritan. And much time would have passed because, like I said, this road is rarely was seldom traveled. This Samaritan man came upon a scene. The Samaritans were half-Jews. Jews and half-Jews didn't get along. Especially the Samaritans found great uh, you know, hatred toward the Jews. So here comes this half-breed. He sees the wounded guy, probably a Jew, the enemy been stripped and beaten and robbed and moved, the scripture says, by compassion. His, that's the guts. He was moved in his guts. <clears throat> he just couldn't pass him by. And so moved by that love, the half-Samaritan showed love and, of course, took care of him. And not just took care of him, went way out of his way. Let the, let the man ride on his own horse. Now remember, you're in a desert. So he puts him up on his, own, on his own horse, on his own mule, whatever he was riding, and then he walked, he walked to the next city. 
hours and hours and hours of him having to walk carrying this sick man. And then when he gets there, he pays for the whole thing. Who loves like that? He loved him by making him, he made him, he made him a neighbor. Love made him a neighbor. And who does Jesus say we're supposed to love? Yeah, everybody, even our enemies. But they don't become our neighbor till we love them. What a difference it made. And it saved a life. How many differences can you make in the lives of those around you? How many neighbors can you make? Love and compassion, it made the difference. And, and after Jesus telling this parable, after you ask the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the answer is obvious, isn't it? Yeah, it's the one that showed compassion, the one who showed mercy, who loved. You see, Jesus wants us to reconsider our definition. Who is my neighbor? The one I love. Who am I supposed to love? Everyone. As we reach into the world to make, to make neighbors by assisting people that are that are sick, uh, uh, go visit the sick, take care of people, reach out, help, support, listen. Well, apparently that's something that members of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod feel very uncomfortable doing. And we're not so good at doing that. Uh, but to be honest, <laughs> there aren't any Christians or church on earth that do it, do it very, very well. Some do it better. But we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Our lack of love is painfully evident in, in how we live our lives. Think about all the relationships you've had, those that didn't work out. Think about the relationship you had in the congregation, how sometimes you've rubbed with people in the congregation, or even in the community, how you've kind of rubbed wrong with people in the community. And you've had difficulty love, loving people within our own congregation. But you've also had difficulty loving those that you have no intention to love. You just simply have no intention of loving them. And you have no intention of reaching out to them. As children of God, this ought not be. God has loved you with a, an everlasting love. The, the blood of His Savior, that redeeming love that He shed for you. He gave it all and he loved you even though you were his enemy, the Bible says. He loved you. And he gave himself for you. And we need to hear that, this parable over and over again. Who is my neighbor? Listen to the fourth chapter of 1 John. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love, must love his brother also. He who loves God must love his brother also. That's law, isn't it? If you are a Christian, what must you do? You must love your brother and your sister, but it's generic there, isn't it? You must love people. Philippians says, we should be of one mind and of one love as a congregation. One mind, one love, one purpose. Doing nothing out of selfish conceit but in humility, counting everybody better than ourselves. There was once a man who loved like this. He was a carpenter. 
And, and this, this Jewish carpenter made a living serving the needs of the people. He made a living going from town to town, making people his neighbor. He saw the hurts and the pains. Oh, the people hated him for what he taught. The people hated him uh, for his message and his teachings, but, but he continued to have compassion on them. And they took him to the cross, and they, and they killed him. And yet he loved. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Jesus showed that perfect love by never considering himself better than, better than anyone else in this earth. And if anybody had the right to consider himself better, it's Jesus because he, well, he's God of all. He is better. But he made himself nothing. The most wonderful thing about this man is that he, he died on a cross for us. That he gave it all up. And that act of love, that act of compassion, that act of mercy makes you who you are today, saved, redeemed, with a promise that will last forever. You're forgiven. And our loving Savior shows that as much as I have loved you, now that I want you to go out and make neighbors as I've made you a neighbor. Unfortunately, that's, that's not the way we do it, is it? We're guilty, but we're not condemned. We're guilty, but by the blood of Jesus, we're forgiven. And the people of Spencer, they're just looking for someone who has been forgiven to reach out to them in kindness. We don't go out looking to become a neighbor to a complete stranger. Or worse, we don't look at going to become a neighbor to somebody that we dislike very much. We just don't make it a priority. And if we're to be honest, the question that the lawyer asked, am I good enough? Jesus must say no. No, you're not. We don't have the same compassion, the same love Jesus has. Never will. At least not in this life. But there is forgiveness. There is redemption. There is blood. Remember, Jesus had compassion on us. Just as a good Samaritan saved the Jew in the middle of the road who was wounded and bleeding, Jesus sees us wounded and bleeding from the sins of our life, from our loveless hearts. He sees us wounded and bleeding and he, and he, and he reaches down with his love and he, he gets all dirty in this world and he sheds his blood to save us to heal our wounds he paid the price he made us his neighbors and that's incredible god the son made you his neighbor and therefore you've been so greatly loved by god that he calls you into his service as I've loved you, go out into the world, lift high the cross, the love of Christ proclaim till all the world may know his holy name. Don't you see, Jesus has loved us so much so that we can love each other. He's loved us so that we can go out and make neighbors. That's our calling. And so if somebody 
in the community need your help. Redefine your definition for neighbor. If somebody needs spiritual guidance, guide them. If somebody needs financial help, help them. If somebody needs assistance, assist them. If somebody needs a listening ear, listen. Whenever the case may be, as you go about your week, as you go about your work, defining your neighbor, seek to love. For Christ's sake. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus and the life everlasting. Amen.